Welcome to episode 18 of Ticker Points. My name is Ronan Scott. Uh, this week, my guests are Cal Carvel and Conleth Gilligan, the former dairy player and the current Kilku coach. Big topics this week are the National League. We, uh, we've got a full round of games this weekend, but we want to look back at the big issues from last weekend. And one of the issues, or one of the big issues, was the Tyrone uh, story of uh, Cahill McShane and Connor McKenna coming back from Australia. He cited homesickness and pa- uh, family issues. Uh, what have you thought of that story, Connor? Uh, is this good news for Tyrone or is it too early to say? Probably early to say, but it's a massive shot in the arm, particularly post Cahill McShane's day. Um, obviously, Connor came back and played a few games for English last year and probably got into a wee bit of trouble with that, but I think he was very, very good and, and done very well for them when he came back. So. I think if he was available for Tyrone, even on a short-term basis, it would be a massive boost coming into you know, a difficult time in the league. There's a lot of big games coming up and Tyrone suddenly a week on from um, the Monaghan game looked to be in a completely much better position. It's mad from a month ago or a month and a couple of months ago where we thought Tyrone was in a disaster, losing their star man, now they're going to get two back. Well, it'll be interesting to see, and I think uh, there's a lot of conversation about when McShane was going, and now that Conor McKenna is back on um, back in Ireland, that they were saying, well, is he actually up to speed in terms of the GA and can players come back with the high-profile ones, Tommy Walsh, and people say he was never the same player, but when you look at the stats, out of the 36 players that actually went and played test games out in the AFL, 12 came back and won All-Stars which actually, when you look at the figures, it suggests that Connor can come back and play at the highest level. And obviously, when he was a minor, he was one of the best players in Ireland at the time. Phenomenal athlete. And if he was to come into the throne setup, I think it's going to be a massive boost for Tyrone and you would go to watch them play just to see how he gets on on his own. Having McShane back, giving his full back into Tyrone, I think it makes them one of the contenders for the All-Ireland this year and I think it's exciting times ahead for Tyrone. Conleth, in your experience, how do you deal with bringing a player back in to a team if they've been away? or is that is that something you do or does it take time to bring them in? Look, it takes time, ultimately, because there's always going to be a personality in that dressing room that's going to be upset to a degree, because if a Conor McKenna comes back in, and just on your point, yeah, I think you're right, he's a different type of player than the other Irish players out there. He's a proper ball player. You know, you've seen some of the weak clips he had where he soloed the, the Aussie rules ball. You know, I think he would pick it up very quick. And again, McShane is back now. You know, he'll come into that team. Conor McKenna comes in. Somebody will lose out. But I think the Tyrone, as a group, they know that they're on the verge, maybe, and they're close, and they need something to push them over the line. And I think, as a collective, I don't imagine economy Canada coming back in would be that difficult because he's been away doing something totally different. It's not like he opted out of the panel to go travelling or anything like that. So I think from the perspective of economy Canada coming back in, or a Cahill McShane, I think that is much easier than a player that left for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Tyrone were in the news last week with regards to the Kerry game uh, and the and the Clifford incident and the sentence off. What, what was your take on that game, Cal? Well, I think it was a great result for Tyrone first and foremost and taking it to Eden Dork as well. I think playing into um, their hands. Um, Oma obviously has had its issues previously, but I think that was a, a smart move. In terms of the Clifford incident, the referees and the umpires have been getting it in the neck in relation to that there, but... And when you've watched it back, yes, he was tackled to the ground and it looked like Clifford didn't uh, do anything. But 
Is this a Tyrone only problem? Tyrone seem to have been berated for instances in the past in terms of cynicism and against my own county in relation to Jamie Morrison's sending off as well. So there are a lot of people who are raw about this out here, but let's not get wound up. It may have been Tyrone, but this weekend it could be Dublin, it could be um, Donegal, it could be Monaghan. It's as part and parcel of the, the game and it's up the onus is on maybe the referee or the umpire to get that right. When two players come together, it shouldn't automatically be a yellow card. It should be get up and quit mess and get on with it, guys, you know. And I think the failure was with the referee. I think Mickey Hart has come in for serious criticism, but at the end of the day, it was a smart move, I thought, from Hart, uh, cynicism or not, and it got them over the line with a vital win. And they'll be looking forward to next weekend and uh, all the murmurings and uh, crying about the, that incident last week will be gone. Yeah, Mickey does love to have a you know a, a, a narrative against his team, you know, and can create that sort of siege mentality. Yeah, and there's a lot of managers. Look at Mourinho; he's famous for it. You know, uh, crying about everyone's against us. He had it when he was uh, at Chelsea, and there is that siege mentality against. And the Northern teams more than most use it to their advantage. So, I think he. He'll be reminding the players of that and having McShane back all the criticism and the hyperbole around that there. And he'll be using that to fire the flames going into the end of the league and in the championship. Kerry must be so annoyed. Like they, they drew with Dublin and then they lose to Tyrone by a point. Like, what was your take on the game, Cam? Yeah, look, I was listening to the game on the radio because I was travelling from the Derry game. And then I'd seen the incident back. And look, the clip looked unsavoury. But again, it's very hard to judge what happened because you only see that small snapshot. And it's a case of saying, well, we don't know what happened before it. But look, let's call it as it is. Clifford was probably taken out in that sense. Um, corner forwards, full forwards, don't go looking for it. But more often than not, they're fit to handle themselves. I think Mickey Hart was blamed very unfairly. You know, I think Ben McDonald coming on. There's so much happening on the sideline. Managers and coaches don't have time to be going into the, well, who's got a yellow card? Go you and take a yellow. That'll give him a second. Like I think anybody thinks like that probably has been on a sideline under pressure long enough. Um, so I think it was just something happened. I don't think it was premeditated, but I do think you know Ben went in and probably wanted to stamp his authority. And again, look, I've done it in the past. There's somebody giving you a wee bit of trouble, and he's pulling and hauling, and the ball's coming your way. You grab him, wrestle him to the ground, and you know the referee's going to come in and flash two yellow cards, regardless of who the aggressor is. So look, it's happening. It's not new to Tyrone, but I think probably the fact that it happened to David Clifford, who is the poster boy of the new modern forward, probably made it look worse and brought it to the attention. But this is happening week in and week out everywhere. And I think it's very unfair to slate Tyrone for that because you would have seen something similar in probably every high-end game that happened across all four divisions that same weekend. It'll be interesting to see later on the year. I'd say Clifford has learned a lot and sort of said, well, this happens again, I'll be standing my ground and you'll know all about it coming on to me, so I won't be on the ground again and he won't even be in that situation. So the guy's only 21, that's another learning curve for him, so take the positives out of it, isn't that right? Did that ever happen to you? Did you ever get, did you ever get uh, somebody pulling you down and trying oh, to get I, Look here, I, I have had it both ways, and again, I've been cute enough on times to use it to my advantage when you've had somebody pulling and hauling at you. As a forward, you know if you can get your man on a yellow card, he's going to have to watch himself a lot closer. You know, and forwards now, more than ever, are well able to look after themselves. So, like, let's probably call it Forwards don't go looking for it, but when they're under pressure, they're more than capable now of uh, being cute enough to that. So, like, Clifford, 
you know, top end players know how to work all them situations. And to go back to the point, was he the Clifford the aggressor? Probably not. But was it premeditated? I don't think so either. I think it was just one of the things that happens. The game was in the melting pot at that stage. And it probably was a pivotal moment because if Clifford stays on the field, Kerry get a draw, they might get a win. But again, I think to take back to Cahill's point, it was massive for Tyrone. Go and eat in dark. You know. Is that old saying, get your retaliation in first, isn't that right? <laughs> I was going to say, just in case my football career comes back, what does a man do as a forward then in that situation? If you're on a yellow and you you're ma- and you, you're, don't want to get sent off, do you just have to stay well, away from a row? Well, I think time and time again we see it in Championship where the man's come on fresh and he's G'd up uh, to mark a player or he's come on and he's been designated. You have to go and you know stop that man playing. And the player comes on and the forward's ready for it and start shouldering each other or hitting each other with the sticks or whatever it is. And then after 30 seconds of pushing and shoving and then it settles down and the game flows. But in that instance, I think, yes, um, the Toronto defender came on and sort of went to, it was nearly like a rugby tackle. But if I think Clifford, the next time he comes on, he'll be throwing the shoulder into him and maybe uh, um, the Toronto player will think twice about it. So I think that'll be a wee bit of a learning curve and, and that's how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The result against Kerry makes the league, uh, the Division One, quite uh, challenging now. The the other issue w- was the Monaghan Dublin game, uh, and how much time was put on. I was watching that in, in Limerick, and we didn't couldn't hear the the commentary, but it just seemed crazy how long it went on for. Um, we've it's been dealt with quite a lot now. What was your conclusion, Connor? Were you you were saying earlier that you thought it was fair enough the amount of time, but it just didn't seem to team that way when you're Yeah, watching. look, refereeing is so difficult now and they're now having to manage all this time as well. And I think it's probably unfair. But from the perspective of the game, there was a lot of stoppages within the five or six minutes that he had, he had said he was going to play. Um, I think from a Monaghan perspective, probably they were looking not to go. But like, you know, I'd heard different people from Monaghan on and I don't think anybody had any real complaints. Um, but I think just on that, the timing is one thing, but the Monaghan performance was something else. You know, for such a long period of that game, they were so brilliant. They were so dominant. You know, like you could see Conor Lavery's fingerprints all over that display, just how composed it was. And I suppose they'll be very, very disappointed because that a point was great before the game, but the way the game went and the fact that they were five or six up with time nearly up and that they only got a draw, and that point could be crucial towards the end of the league deciding, you know, whether they push on for that final spot or whether they get dragged back into a relegation dogfight. I wonder, could you go a bit more about Conor Loverty? Obviously, you know him well from Kilku. What do you mean whenever you say his fingerprints are all over? Yeah, just in terms of the display, their defensive display, you know, their display up front. You know, like he's, he's, he's a fantastic coach, he's a fantastic thinker. You know, he's a brilliant brain, you know, and I think Bonte done brilliantly to get him in there. Um, he's very, very young. You know, he'll be, he's as young as some of the players he's playing with. And I would say he's well capable of probably playing in that Monaghan team if they could, if they could get bits on him. But uh, I think like in terms of the flair and you know, bringing people in, and I think he'll be able to look at Conor McManus and probably try and add something to his game, especially a bit around the composure, particularly when he's been heavily marked because connor has been used to that all his own career. So I think very smart move by Bonte to, to get the team in and around him. And I, at the start, thought it was going to be a difficult year for Monaghan, but like really excited about their attacking options and how they've played early on in the league. Peter Donnelly's in there as well. You know Peter too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And again, probably whenever Bonte sat down to look at it, you know, getting Peter Donnelly. Peter obviously left Tyrone at a similar time. I think that was a great coup. Obviously, I was surprised he didn't stay with Tyrone, but 
look, that was a situation, and I think for Banty to bring Peter in, you know, with the experience he has with Tyrone and with Ulster football, and at that level of Division One, I think that there was gold dust for him. To go back to the timing point and the extra time those played in the game, Carl, what was your take on it? What did you think? Um... I, I couldn't see what the issue was, to be honest with you. When people started to cry about it on social media and I saw mm. articles coming, I thought, well, this is a nothing point. Because if you look at the actual game itself, then the point Colin makes is right. Six minutes of uh, added time on, and there was a lot of stoppages during the game. But in that six minutes, there was at least three minutes of stoppages through fouls. And I wouldn't say cynical play, but just um, Rory Began coming up to take freeze, which I don't think um, in hindsight was, yes, he kicked one from about 65 yards out, but there was two that he missed, which actually ultimately cost Monaghan. So they might have to take a look at that. But there was easily three minutes extra on top of that. And it ended up, it went to um, the ninth minute of all time. And there wouldn't have been a word about it. Only Dublin got the point. And you have to give products to Dublin. Like, e even with Jim Gavin gone, they still have that composure to, when it's in the, the when the pressure's at its most acute, that they can come up with the goods. And let's be honest about it, Monaghan were but far and away the better team on the day and would be bitterly disappointed they didn't win that because they were five, six, seven points the better team in, in, in my eyes. But you got to give Plotus to Dublin again, pulled it out of the fire and uh, in the ninth minute last kick of the game to put it over, there's a lot to be said. But I don't think they're the, the force that they have been, but they'll definitely um, have a say in terms of uh, who ultimately wins the All-Ireland and I think Monaghan will too. So sentimentality really that people were crossed that there was 10 but, minutes? But in saying that yes and no I do think in terms of and we I think the hot topic now is rule changes and how we can amend the game and tweak the game and Sinbin and Harlan and all this nonsense but actually a fair enough point would be the um, women's football and camogie style hooter and counting down the time and that brings an excitement in itself and it brings the responsibility in terms of timekeeping out of a uh, referee's hands who has already so many jobs to do on that field. And I think that would be a way of actually removing that responsibility from the referee. But I don't think we can criticise the referee at all in the double Monaghan game for the timekeeping. And again, just on the wider point of the rule changes, a lot of the rule changes, and you talked about the hooter, is great. And it will be great in Crook Park and it will be brilliant in Parky Cave and, and Clonus. The problem is, is that rule would have to replicate right down the pitch, right down the way on the club pitches that don't have hooters and who mans that. And again, it's like the advanced mark. All these rules are great in big venues like Crook Park, but somebody has to officiate that in a club game in Armagh or Derry or Tyrone. And I think that's where the problems will occur and that's where it'll be most acutely felt. Do you not think though, that not the hooter situation, but extra help for referees at club level would be a good thing uh, if you could do it i think if you could do it would be a great thing the problem is that there is a deficit of people wanting to referee yeah. for obvious reasons it's so difficult to do yeah. you're under pressure all the time and no matter how well you do to 50 percent of the people at the game you're going to be wrong and to ha to the losing team you know you're going to have played a factor so again that'd be great but it's hard enough to get referees 
in the first instance without having to get maybe two referees to a game. Um, but if it could be done, it'd be brilliant. The hooter point, I suppose, if you did have it in a club game, you often see the, the linesman, who's one of the fathers of a player, and the ball obviously goes out for the other team, and he's signalling that way no matter what. Like So I would say if it suited one side, there were a bit of uh, partisan um, timekeeping maybe might end up with a hooter going after one minute of extra time. So, But in the big game, certainly it would help, Like, but it's that trickle-down effect and how it would work. How do we think that that Monaghan result and double will affect the Division 1 overall do you think that point's going to be crucial? I think it will and just looking at the table like it's so tight and I think well Meath probably uh, after the result again Donegal I can't see Meath staying up but in terms of the other teams and Donegal and Dublin is going to be critical this weekend and if Donegal after their result and they were gnarly beaten by Galway last week if they can't turn up and get a victory then they're going to be in significant trouble and it leaves Dublin on six points looking towards the league finals but it's just, it, it's so intriguing the possibilities in terms of the games and even Mayo Monaghan, if Monaghan lose that, where do they go from here? And even the Mayo Donegal game, the goal with the last kick of the game to draw that match. And if Mayo didn't have that, they would be stirring down the barrel of relegation as well. So it's intriguing times in Division 1 and Division 2. And again, it goes back to when teams are matched evenly, the really exciting games that we can get in terms of the football championship. It is so odd. Like, well, Manon for three, year, for three years now, they've put a game up to Dublin, but in other matches, they don't seem to perform. Donegal, you just feel like they should be winning every game with the quality of the panel they have. Yet yeah. they didn't lose, but but Galway had been losing games close. They were good in their previous three games or two games anyway. Yeah. What do you think of so far? Well, I think when you go into Division One, Meath look like they're going to get relegated for sure, mm-hmm. and yet they've been very good for long patches of the league. It just shows how difficult and how competitive it is. Tyrone looked like they were going to be in trouble. Monaghan maybe before the Tyrone game looked they're going to be in trouble. Now you have a lot of teams sitting around three, four points. You're going to need probably definitely six to stay up. And then if you get another four after that, you're looking at the end being in the shake-up. But just to go back to that point, I think Galway have been really exciting. And um, what they have done there, you know, been really, really positive. I think Donegal have been brilliant. Very unfortunate. Mayo, you still don't really know whether they're going to earth enough new talent to supplement what was there or whether they're going to have to go back to the trade and test it that has sort of failed so often. So from that perspective, look, probably Dublin's going to be in a final and, you know, it's who's going to be with them. And I think Tyrone have probably put their hand up now and they look very exciting going forward. And well, you mentioned a week or two ago, you were looking at maybe Tyrone will be in trouble in that league, but they're so finely poised. And again, to go into some of the other divisions, to take your point, brilliant. Like when league football is very even, the games are brilliant because every team has a realistic chance. There's no walkovers, there's nobody getting beat by 10 or 15 points. And you've seen it right through the league. You know, it's a point here, two points there, and the games have been very, very good. At the same time, too, when you say Galway being exciting, they didn't really have a panel at the start of the league. They, they, in January, they were we try, we're trying to get the squad off them for fantasy football. They're telling us we don't even know what the squad is. We're just we're taking trials right now. And Dunning, and Dublin and Kerry, they were like Desi Farrell says he was so pleased with how they did on no preparation at all. But that's because they're eternal athletes. Yeah, well, as well as that with Dublin, that conveyor belt from under 15 levels coming through. So the, the better players in Dublin are well signposted. So like none of these young players, Desi Farrell doesn't need to do trials. Like everybody in Dublin knows. Like the two Basquales have been the best club footballers in Dublin 
for a number of years and they couldn't get a look and I noticed Column came on the last day. Um, but from that perspective, everybody in Dublin knows who's close to the cusp of things and the talent pool is so big and so vast that I don't think it would really matter who Dublin will pull in. I think the juggernaut that they have at the moment is just going to keep churning out top quality players that's going to make it difficult for everyone else to compete. And I think you mentioned Galway. What's really interesting about them with uh, Park Joyce in there is what he's done with Shane Walsh. You know, bringing him to the edge of the square, and you know he's been an absolute. And he's been a brilliant player, but he just hasn't been used properly. And then it brings it back to the, uh, like Michael Murphy, as to whether he's better on the square, whether he's better in around the middle, or you know what is his best position. But I think um, Joyce is getting the best out of him, and that. Uh, will make it really interesting in terms of the, the rest of the season because Galway do have a, a lot of talented boys in that team and to push on and they've maybe fluttered to the sea for a long time and with Mayo's success etc but I think this could be a big year for Galway. Can we just talk about some of the other counties in Division 2 and Division 3? What have you thought of the likes of Fermanagh or Cavan? Or, uh, yeah and, and again Division 2 and 3 are probably the most important divisions in the league this year because of the Tier 2 Championship. And when you look at whoever's struggling in Division 2, you know, Fermanagh had a great result and then they've fallen away a wee bit. You know, if they don't get their football back on track, they could be looking at that dropping out of that division. I think Armagh probably have looked brilliant. I think what Keane McGinney has done there with Armagh has been incredible. I think, you know, he's got a lot of criticism, but he has got a, a group of players there now that are heavily committed. You know, he, he's not losing players. You know, and that's for me that's a sign of a contented camp and that he's got all the players he wants back in now and they all seem to be happy in their playing. And like that performance last week, you know, has really shot them up. And they're probably a team that, that wants to get a shot at Division One. Um in terms of Division Three, you know, you have Cork who looks like they're gonna win that and comfortably move into that tier one competition. And then you've got one team from down. Derry, Longford, Offaly have now given themselves a chance and I think that's going to be very clean and contested and for the Derry and Downs not to be in that tier one will be a, be a big blow for them but that's going to be the reality and again there'll be a lot of soul searching done if that does happen. It's unlikely that both of them will go up though? It's virtually impossible that both of them will go up so it'll be one or the other and I think Longford are probably the team that hold the key in that division because nobody goes to Pierce Park and wins easily regardless of who they are and regardless of what division they're in. So down have Longford and Uri, where Derry have to go to Pierce Park. So um, it's probably an advantage to down because they've, beat, they've beaten Derry already. But I think Division 2 is so finely poised that there will be teams take points of each other. And from that perspective, all the games right to the end will probably go to the wire with Cork being that team that comes through. And in Division 4, I think Antrim have probably a good story to tell. And I think Michael McCann coming back in it's probably very, very clever from Lenny Harbison because Paddy Cunningham's in there. And like, even at 34, Michael McCann is still a player that can hold his own in Division 4 quite comfortably and could be the difference in Antrim maybe sneaking into that, that uh, promotion place. What I would say on the Division 2 thing is with Armagh, um, I'm hopeful that the least result won't um, come back to bite them because they seem to be the, the bogey team for Armagh for a long time. But... They have certainly the forward line to do serious damage and uh, I saw somebody commenting the other day that they have the best forward line in Ireland. Well, I wouldn't maybe go that far, but they certainly ha have a very potent attack and if they can just continue that consistency that they have, I think, now built. Um, but 
teams are beating teams all over the place. Like look at Calvin, you know, after the first day against Armagh, you thought they were searched to to go down, and after the the good result of the weekend, and then even with Fermanagh getting beaten away to Westmeath as well, they had you know aspirations about going up. So it just makes it really exciting, and it makes that you you're really interested in the league as to what's going to happen and who's coming up against who, and you know it's great in terms of the spectators. I just I think it's maybe still a wee bit early in the year given the conditions, especially this weekend and the weekend before. But um, it makes it very exciting, and it's a very appealing um, package for uh, GA supporters out there. Yeah. So in conclusion, we're we're not sure of anything. Anything could happen in the next four weeks. But we'll certainly be glued to the, the TV screen and we'll be uh, down in the athletic grounds and uh, Corrigan Park and wherever it is to see some top quality football. No matter what happens next weekend, there's going to be an outcry on social media about people being unhappy about something because the new thing now is unless you're unhappy and you're voicing it, you know, this hasn't been a good weekend for football. Or <laughs> Just to go, you, there's a, there was a point I wanted to bring up about people not being happy, and that was at the start of the year. Uh, kind of four months ago, you were in Kilku. They were disappointed about their All Ireland, how it ended up. How do you feel about that now? Have you had time to reflect? Yeah, look, I suppose the disappointment's still a bit raw. Uh, look, we had planned to, to go there and win, and, and obviously you're up against it against Cora Finn. Like we done really well for long periods of that game, and a lot of the stuff we wanted to work worked really well. Um, look, we probably kicked a few too many wides um, on a game on a game like that, and that ultimately cost us. And once we went into extra time, the fatigue, mentally and physically, of probably been at 14 men showed. Um, but from the perspective, when the dust settles, probably as a group, you know, look back at a, a really successful year. How did you find working with Mickey? Oh, it's like working with Mickey's great. I suppose Mickey was the person that Kilku wanted, and and then Mickey brought me and Paul Devlin with them. Um, so from that perspective, getting somebody in there that all the players believed in and wanted is a massive boost because it just makes everything so much easier. And the thing about Mickey is he's so good with people. And from our perspective, all we really tried to do was take obstacles out of the way for the players and that they could be the best they could be and see what it, what it took them. It's very difficult to say what you're going to do at the start of the year because there's so many obstacles and it's so difficult now in a club season because you have so many men with so many other commitments. But the one thing that Mickey does that is incredible, he just takes all the obstacles out of the way and he cares about players in a way that they know he cares and that everything's done to try and make it easier for them to commit and play and be the best they can be. And I think that's the, the magic of, of Mickey. Yeah, and so and yourself, I should have said Mickey Moore. As yourself and Mickey are going ahead then again this year, and you've you've got a plan together for going forward. Yeah, or look, is it too um, early to talk about that? Me and Paul and Mickey are, are going to go again for another year. Um, you know, so from that perspective, it just starts again. It's back to to zero, and you have to do all the stuff over again. And that's daunting in itself because whenever you get on the crest of a wave and you win games and and everything's going brilliantly, but then when it stops and you lose and then you're back the same as everybody else and there is no real advantage anymore because everybody's watched you now for numerous games and the competition know you much better than they did a year previous. So from that perspective, everybody else has an advantage over you because you have to start from zero and they all know exactly what you're about. So, But from that perspective, look, you know, we're, we're, we're excited to get at it and it'll start very soon again. God, I don't know if anybody doesn't know who Kilcoy are like. <laughs> oh, they've been in Ulster for long enough. I'd be interested, Connell, when you look back on on I suppose your time in management and you're sort of at an early stage in your coaching and uh, management career but 
as a I suppose management group and then in terms of the team would you look back and say we are net positive in terms of the year or does losing the on the final day result in it's a, a net minus I haven't lost an all-iron club final myself when I look back on it I always see it as a net minus and with regret as opposed to look at where we got to where do you think things are now that you're a month on look everything ends in failure generally like outside of Cora Finn and um, the hurling champions everybody's year ends in failure at some point yes you've success along the way but ultimately that last feeling before you regroup again is one of complete desolation and we're no different so if you'd been beaten the first round of your club championship beaten an Ulster club final semi-final final the last game is what you remember mm -hmm. so as you know losing a club final like it's soul destroying because you put so much of yourself in it and players sacrifice so much that you think wow how am I going to do this again but once you get a week or two into it that all disappears and Kilku will look back and say look you know we won an Ulster you know great result again Bally Bowden came up a wee bit short but it's the learnings you know there's so many things that I suppose everybody would do differently but you have to be in the position to learn those lessons and look it's a hard place to learn a lesson in a final but as long as you can take them things away with you, you know, you're never really beaten. Do you use much lessons you learn from Bondari in their runs to Ulster in Ireland? Yeah, you do, of course, you know, all the obstacles that, that Kilku had faced and all the pitfalls, like we had been through it as well in Bondari. And again, I suppose we were lucky in that we won an Ulster in All Ireland at our first attempt, which took the pressure off the next year. So it just left Ulster very much a lot easier. Winning Derry was always the hard part because you're under pressure all the time to not mess up effectively. Whereas um, with Kilku it was, they'd been so close before and you know the previous manager of Paul McEver and Jim McCurry had done so well and just they came up against great teams, you know, they came up against Slack Neil, Cross McGlenn and you know that was the hard part, you know, whereas you know we were really only trying to take the obstacles out of it to make it easier for the boys to commit to go at it again because you need your portions of luck, you need things to go with you, you need to avoid serious injuries and you know a lot of the stuff that we needed we happened you know so but you always learn the lessons from the stuff that went wrong more so than the, the good days you know you always learn more lessons than the defeats. And what is the mood like? Have you been chatting to any of them or have you spoken to any players yet? Or Yeah no look the, the mood of players is, is pretty good um, I think the players appreciate that you know they had a long run and they're now just taking a wee bit of time out and obviously it's been difficult because you know Paul Devlin, Jerome Johnson, some of the other boys had to go back into down a fortnight later so um, a few of them haven't really had any break and then the under 20s have moved in so from that perspective look football moves on very quick and it's now an all year thing the time of getting breaks is nearly gone you have to be an athlete for football all year round now and that's just as part and parcel of the game high-end club county Everybody's in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Never stops. Just before we go, just to ask you, Cal, about your column there from a fortnight ago, you criticised, is it fair to say you criticised the Armagh management or Rory Convery for playing with the Armagh team when he, you know, you argued that he doesn't have any right to or? Well, I wouldn't say it was a criticism of Rory and I just want to be clear, there's nothing personal against Rory in the, in the, the situation. What I was criticising was the events and how things transpired and um, I would have no criticism in terms of where realistically it makes sense on where there's a transfer legitimately like I, I use the example of James Lottery uh, 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 ex-teammate from my days at Queen's 
He played with Antrim for a number of years, married a, a girl from Cork, moved down to Cork, is working in Cork and plays with Cork now and he transferred across um, to Cork. Completely understandable. In the situation where I was commenting on, it was Rory lives in Dublin. He retired from Derry three years ago, spent 15 years playing with Derry. I played against him on many occasions. He was brought in as a coach to coach Arma. He's also coaching Trinity and all of a sudden he turns up as playing with Armagh and in those circumstances where the only ties he has to Armagh are he married a, a, a girl from White Cross and I understand he's registered member of the White Cross t uh, club that allowed him to play but ultimately his role is a coach and if Connolly had come in and turned up and play, started playing with uh, Kilku, I'm sure there would have been a lot of uh, eyebrows raised in uh, Ballandurry and similarly my issue was with those Armagh players, some of which are from my own club, who are sitting on the bench watching a guy who's retired four years at 36 years of age playing centre-half back for a county team who he has no, absolutely no affiliation with. It's nearly akin to some of the, the resettled players playing, the South Africans playing with Ireland in the rugby. It just It's completely alien. Shawnee Johnson was completely criticised for it, yet because it's hurling and maybe it's a, a weaker county that it was just brushed uh, under the, the carpet and no one said anything about it. And I think what made it a story was the reaction of the Armour management, which to my mind was completely overblown and um, some things when there is criticism, you can take it on board and say, right, okay, we'll, whether it was justified or otherwise, and then move forward from that. But maybe it'll give Armagh the boost uh, to say, well, whatever he says, we're going to go and win the Nicky record, and I hope they do, but they might use that Mickey Hart mentality, that Siege mentality against me, and maybe against the Gaelic life as well, to, to do well this season. But the social media reaction wasn't all positive for you. It was split down the middle. They were four Arnigans. Well, I wouldn't say it was... No, I wouldn't say that, actually. I would say it was more positive to me, and I had a lot of players, current players, playing on the team that messaged me and said, I completely agree with your point. Ex-players who had sent me messages to say, we're about promoting Harlan and Armagh and promoting, bringing through young players who want to play with Armagh. We're not about giving a short-termism to a county team to try and win um, a Nicky record, but from the game against Donegal where Rory played in, outside of the freeze, I don't think it actually benefited Armagh as a team in any event. So from what I understand, he's gone back to the, the coaching and I think that's where his strength lay in terms of Armagh this season and um, making that step to winning the Nicky record. But the counter is that you should be allowed to transfer whichever way you want. Like It happens all the time. It happens in so many Ulster or, or Ulster hurling counties and clubs forever should you just get rid of all transfers and play no, for no I'm not saying that I'm going back to my point in terms of James Lottery and we had it with um, an ex uh, teammate of mine with Declan Coulter who lives in Donegal and transferred his wife's in Donegal he teaches in Donegal and um, uh, he has family there and he went and played with Donegal and we ultimately came up against him and you can understand that position but my issue with is manufacturing a position like Kim McGinney did in Kildare with Shawnee Johnson lining out for a junior hurling team so that he could play and uh, play for Kildare it's completely um, wrong in my view yes if you live in that county the likes of James Lawry 
absolutely fine, I can understand that, but this trend to cultivate and manufacture a position that actually does damage to the hurling, be it football or hurling in that county, is wrong and um, I will call it out and it just happened to be my own county and um, I feel if I hadn't have said anything, there was uh, should be more criticism of me for not highlighting the point. So it's not, Sir Graves, that you're not playing for Armour Hurlanders anymore? Well, in fairness, at the start of the year I was asked back in. <laughs> and I, and, and I uh, said no. So I want the best for Armagh football and hurling. And I don't think uh, having Rory in as a player was uh, the best way forward. OK, well, thanks very much, anyway, for your point. We look forward to reading what you're re- we're going to write this week and get it life. Yeah, hopefully it'll make less headlines this time, but <laughs> we'll see. As long as there's a Greek or a Latin reference, <laughs> that's all I care about. Um, but uh, anyway, thanks for coming in this week, Cal. Thanks for thanks coming for in, Conleth. Hope you enjoyed it. Yep. Um, and I won't be playing for Armagh Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> we get you in the football, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much, anyway. Thank you. Thank you.